0: Welcome back to The Right Angle. Mo is back in his cold, undisclosed location. G-Man is still in his undisclosed undisclosed location. And I've got to say, we've had uh, a number of exotic guests. We've had Igor, Igor, Flyboy, Dark Horse, Masha, Moses. And tonight we're pleased to bring in Jim Jim, is that G-Y-M or is that JIM? Uh, okay. All right. Like the, uh, well, I won't say it. That'll give away my location. So, uh, G-Man, why don't you give us a little backstory and uh, how he came to be with us tonight and take it from there?
1: Well, I'll only give you as much information as people need to know because I don't want to uh, expose myself with this uh with this person either. so You've gotten
0: in trouble exposing yourself in the
1: past, (laughs) from what I understand. You saw that milk (laughs) bottle too? (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, gosh. It's all true. Um, uh, I just happened to have had uh, dinner with Jim uh, a while back, and I was discussing his former life that he had life, L-I-F-E, not wife. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we were going through the some of the specifics of it. And I said, gee whiz, Jim, uh, I'd like to have you on the podcast and talk to people about your specific work that you did within the armed services of the United States of America. And he said, I'd be happy to. So here we awesome. are. Here we are. Great.
0: Well, this is ironic because just uh, last week we recorded a special session with CeCe who spent 20 years in the Air Force. And so this was not the Air Force, but another branch of the service. So Jim, I guess prior to getting into the service, or when did you decide you wanted to go in? Kind of give us the what led up to it.
2: I decided after uh, college to go out and visit my brother and and his wife, and then my brother and I went up hiking in New Hampshire. There, I met a lot of great people. I ended up working for the Pinkham Notch facility for the Appalachian Mountain Club. And eventually, a few months later, as spring came around, they needed a caretaker. So I did that for about... uh, Three four weeks, and they asked me to go on to Trail Crew, so I did that. And Trail Crew is what the Appalachian Mountain Club uses to build lean-tos for um, AT walkers, Appalachian Trail walkers, and other folks in the White Mountains that they can stay at. So we uh, we built a couple of those during my tenure of three. Three years. And then after I did that for that for a long time, I decided to Bruce Davis and Mark Lacroix and I were hired by Franklin Gammon over in Maine to do some logging. and we were using his oxen to do that to start out because the landowners didn't want to have any um, large equipment on their property so we did that for a few months and then uh, he decided that to take the oxen back and he took us to another spot that he had that he wanted to log off and this was up in the mountains so uh, our moving trailer, which was our our home at the time, uh, was moved up there. And then we started cutting down trees and twitching them down the mountain using a skidder. And we did that for about uh, three and a half, four months. And I decided to go, uh, let's see here, Bruce and I ended up doing that. And uh, during the spring thaw, I went home. And I had been thinking about the Navy before this, and so I was home for probably a week and a half, and I went and saw a recruiter and enlisted so that I would have delayed entry uh, in 1976, September. So I went back to uh, Maine and New Hampshire, finished the trail crew, and what I was doing there was a... One of the best parts of my whole life working for the trail crew and all the guys that I worked with. So I went in the Navy in September of 77. And the whole reason I decided to do that was because I wanted more of a career that I could fall back on. And I ended up being a machinist mate on submarines. I was trained to do that over in... uh, Let's see Illinois at the uh, the base over there and then uh so I went immediately to um, the William H. Bates which is a 637 class nuclear powered submarine and it was over in Holy Lock at the time. So I and a couple of other guys we flew over there and joined the crew of the, of the Bates, and then we went on numerous missions before we went back to port. And so I ended up on the Bates for five years and decided to, uh, after being on the boat so long and seeing what some of the other crew members were doing, uh, there were far too many drugs around, and a lot of them weren't being um, caught, the guys doing it, and found that uh, some of them, some of these guys were doing it on board the boat while we were underway.
0: Did they, like, turn a blind eye to that, or were the people that sneaky?
2: They were that sneaky. They would go down in the machinery space, which was where our diesel engine was, and there's ventilation down there, and they return ventilation... Uh, they would smoke right underneath that. Other ta- other guys that were doing uh, cocaine and that kind of thing they could pretty much yeah. do wherever they wanted to. Wow, um, so it just was not a comfortable feeling to be on board the boat um, and doing our mission with guys that were doing drugs. So they did do a, a clamp down and they, they got uh, uh, two or three guys that they uh, took to, captain's mast kicked him off the boat and then we let's see here <clears throat> I got out of the Navy right after that and that was the reason that I got out was because there were way too many drugs going on um, but also I enjoyed what I did and I got a call from a really good friend of mine who was on the USS Buffalo new construction in Newport News, Virginia and he asked me if I wanted to come and help build the Buffalo so I thought about it for a short period of time and decided that would be a good thing to do so I re-enlisted and went out to Newport News and we built the Buffalo our job at the time as machinist mates was to watch a lot of the testing going on for our systems hydraulics, high-pressure air, low-pressure air, um, you name it. uh, We had uh, sanitary systems and potable water and so on and so forth. So we were in charge of taking care of watching the shipyard build everything and once they got done, we took it on sea trials and all in all everything worked just fine and we got commissioned. So. From there, we did a lot of overseas six, uh, let's see, Westpacs, that's what they call it. But we had to transit the Panama Canal first to get to San Diego, change home ports to San Diego, and then we went on our (laughs) Westpacs. So we had a great time on that ship, building it, commissioning it and taking it out to sea, all the different times for testing.
0: What sort of testing do you do, and what part did you have in building it?
2: Well, the auxiliary men or the machinist mates, non-nuclear, we had all of the mechanical systems other than the reactor plant. So the air, hydraulics, um, sanitary uh, we made oxygen, and we cleaned the air of CO2, and we ran a low-pressure blower to bring fresh air into the ship and exhaust it uh, out the back of the sail when we were at periscope depth. So we watched them build all of the mechanical systems on board, and we're with them the whole time.
0: Wow.
2: Um, and we also <laughs> we got involved with our 38 ND 8 and an 8, Fairbanks Morris diesel engine. They got that baby running and something was totally wrong and they, they shut it down. And it turns out that all the bearings in that crankshaft upper and crankshaft lower with two eight and an eighth inch diameter um, cylinders opposed, all the bearings went bad. So Hmm. we, we got a chance to go 24-hour shifts and watch them redo all the bearings on that uh, that diesel, which was kind of fun. In the long run, it was. <laughs> but uh, let's see here. Oh, while we were still in Newport News, they sent us down to the Mark 48 torpedo range. And that just happens to be in the Caribbean. So we pull into... One of the ports in Florida, and then we picked up a few people, and then we went back out to sea and down off the coast of uh, Saint Croix, Saint Thomas, and so on. And we worked with a group of guys that would retrieve all of our torpedoes that we shot at them.
0: <laughs> is that sort of like being a? Is that like being a javelin catcher?
2: Just about, <laughs> actually. <laughs> actually those guys would they'd just watch it float up to the surface when it ran out of fuel and then as it floated they'd go and pick it up huh. so that was a lot of fun and we, we even pulled into St. Croix on this pier that this lady owned which was pretty darn cool, the water was just crystal clear, we went snorkeling and we went to town and had a good time with all the stuff in town and so we were there for like five or six days and, and we dropped the, the people off that we got on board with us. And then they said, okay, you guys are good enough. Go out to San Diego and uh, do some Westpacs. <laughs> so we did. And we had a, we had a real blast on Westpacs going over the uh, international date line. Each, and by the way, every sailor on that submarine had to qualify Submarines too, which meant they had to learn enough about every system on board the boat to be able to handle and help with emergencies, um, wow. fires, floodings, and all that stuff. And they get aboard at the end of the time when they're uh, ready to go, and then we qualify them as a submariner. So I I did that, and we had a We had a good time uh, cruising the seas, and most of it was following Russian submarines and uh, (laughs) recording their uh, signature in the water. So we would stay undetected for five months, and then we would go off station, and we transfer to another submarine who would take that baby up and go and follow them until they went into port someplace.
0: Wow. (laughs) <laughs> and they we obviously did that a number of times yeah they obviously no, they didn't know we were there <laughs> Was it how they far didn't have, how far away were you from them about
2: uh probably uh six seven hundred yards
0: Wow that and they didn't know the you distance. were
2: there <laughs> no, they had no idea <laughs> and i and we were further than that and then closer, and we did all kinds of different things. But most of the time I think we ended up being about uh, half a mile
0: away okay. from them.
2: And, and with our sonar systems, we can hear the best of any uh, other sonar systems in the world. And that this was at that time. And when mm-hmm. I got out of the Navy in 97, it was still the same way. We, we had above and beyond the best equipment Uh, on board that boat in fact all of our decks there are three of them they're floating decks they were all mounted on uh the rubber grommets uh, uh, i'll say for lack of a better term so the none of the steel that we walked on was welded to the hull and (laughs) interesting when we had to do uh really quiet operations when we would get real close to a a submarine or a ship. We would also do underhauls on ships. But anyway, we uh, rigged the ship for quiet, and everybody would stow everything and make sure that it was tied down, and if we took an angle, nothing would fall out, uh, which some of the angles that we took were 25 and 30 degrees, and we'd go from 1,000 feet, up to 150 feet level off and go back down to a thousand feet and we'd do it the fastest way possible all ahead flank and it was balls to the walls and we were (laughs) just flying through the water it was that kind of stuff was a riot
0: we really had
2: a a good time doing that
0: wow so how long would you how long would you track any given russian submarine
2: every one of them was different because uh we would pass our our submarine off to another one, and then they would pass it off to another one until okay. that Russian submarine went into port someplace or did something to make them break off of uh, trailing it. So, but generally about two months, and then wow. we would pass
0: it off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, what? So, w- w- were you? A little sorry. Were you still a mechanic this whole time? What were you actually doing day to day?
2: Well, I had risen up through the ranks from an E five, which is what I went into the Navy the second no E six, Navy the second time, and I, my watch was as a diving officer. First chief of the watch and then diving officer. So once I qualified those two watch stations um, underway, we would have uh, six hour shifts. So you'd stand watch for six and the other uh, two watch stations would be doing maintenance and sleeping and eating and all that. And one of them would come up and relieve you at the end of six hours. And then you would take off and do your normal uh underway routine of maintenance and training and and those types of things but uh i was a diving officer on the buffalo uh, i was the battle sh- battle stations diving officer so once the captain said bring the ship to battle stations we would ring the uh, alarm and everybody would go to their battle stations and I would be in control with the captain who had the con, the deck, and the con, and all the basically the best people were at their given watch stations to be able to track to send messages to load torpedoes to shoot flares, not necessarily flares, but uh um something like a flare out of one of our um hmm. tubes that we had but uh so we did a lot of those types of drills and we had fire drills and flooding drills and you name it we we did all kinds of uh drop torpedo and (laughs) we'd have to go down and take care of that and so we did a lot of training and uh but my watch station was as a diving officer and Hmm. in port i was a uh let's see a duty chief and we usually had six or so, guys, qualified duty chief. So I'd stand watch in port uh, every six days, and then another chief would take over and stand watch for a day.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: yeah, we got we got a lot of liberty when we hit Hong Kong and Philippines and Thailand and places like that. We had a we had a very good time.
0: <laughs> wow, gee man, what kind of questions I got a ton, but I'm sure you have two. So. Uh, you said CPAC. You go out on CPAC. Uh,
2: Westpac.
1: Westpac. What? would it? Yeah. What it? What does Westpac west,
2: mean? Uh, being that we were on the Pacific side of the United States, being if you're looking, you, know, you you take the compass and you go, okay, they're on the west side of the, they're on the left coast or the west coast. So we call it a Westpac, and it would be a seven month or six month deployment and we wouldn't come back until sometime during that the very end of that six months and we would uh, pull in all over the place to uh, get well we we wouldn't have to get supplies too much but we spent time in guam and stayed there for a couple of weeks doing uh, some maintenance on the ship and then we'd go to Yakuska, japan And we'd stay there for five or six days. and But in between those, we were doing uh, missions for, let's see here, sub-pack or the guys that were in charge of our submarine and uh, basically working with other submarines, sometimes training, or ships. And therefore, and then just punching holes, listening uh, on the outside of a port over in uh, Russia, and we just stay there and go back and forth in the front of the mouth of this port and just lit and have our radios antenna up and the spooks. And we usually brought about, I don't know, 10 or 12 of those guys on board who could speak Russian fluently and could do everything that they needed to in radio when it came to listening to what was going on uh, in the airwaves. So then we'd do that for weeks on end. We'd just go back and forth, waiting for a submarine to come out. And when one came out, then we would take it and get on its tail and follow it.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Did you? I guess as far as you know, you were never followed. Correct. Not that we uh, know of.
2: Uh-uh. Yeah. No, because we would clear our baffles every couple of hours. The we're, excuse uh, me, we're uh, not
1: interested in your bathroom uh, <laughs> stuff on the ship. Let's let's keep back with this other stuff, okay? Uh,
0: so
2: wow. basically, we would we would just turn right and lisp, listen behind us, and then we'd go steady up on course, and then we'd go left. So we that's clear in your baffles to make sure nobody's behind you.
0: Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm wow. sorry. Yep. I had a different, <laughs> different thought. But, uh... I, I, yeah. I mean, were you ever in like, I don't know what this would be like, the equivalent of like a battle situation on a on a warship or a cruiser or, you know, army going on the offensive? Was there any time where you were you ever being pursued or were you ever in any, you know, what you would consider military conflicts? No and yes. Um, we were
2: out deployed when we... Took over Afghanistan in '91, so uh, we were standing by, and we had missiles on board that we could shoot out of the torpedo tubes um, as directed. And then let's see here, what's the country down in South America that we had to go and?
0: Oh. Uh, uh, Grenada.
2: Yeah, Grenada. We were down there off the. Uh, off the coast of uh, South America, too, uh, during that conflict. Wow. So, yeah. But other than that, we were we were never tasked with, you know, shooting a, a live weapon at anybody.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, obviously, if you're on a jet and someone says, hey, get down to Grenada, you can get down there pretty fast. But how how fast could your sub go, and how long did it take you to get places?
2: It takes a long time. <laughs> Uh, many days, and well, when you can't really. I can't really say what the yeah. top speed was, okay. but uh, it was. I think it's greater than twenty knots, and, and that's good enough. Okay, if you figure it out at a little bit more than twenty knots, how many days would that take? Yeah, if you knew the if you knew how many miles it was,
0: right. It's, yep. Speaking of that, do you know? Did you keep track, or does the Navy keep track of how many miles you traveled, nautical miles you traveled over your career? Do you have any idea?
2: No, I don't. Mm. And I'm sure they did for each boat and each time they they go out of port and do something. But I never got involved with okay. excuse me any of that kind of stuff,
0: huh? So no. at any at any given time, when you were out for five or six months, how much of that time were you submerged?
2: The longest I've been submerged for is seventy-two days, wow. and I've done that a couple times. For the most part, we would be, you know, on a mission for, let's say, two months, to three, two to three months, and then we would uh, go into port do maintenance and maybe take on stores and that kind of thing. But for the most part, you don't really need to load a nuclear submarine with, um, or let's say, you don't have to take it into port very often to get food. Hmm. We had enough food on board that we loaded um, so that we could stay out to sea for you know, six, eight months at a time. Wow. We'd be down to crackers and <laughs> you know what. Uh, maybe biscuits, but uh, we could do it. We had all kinds of all kinds of places to put food. Man, so yeah, it was cool, huh?
0: So, right. bef- oh, go ahead, G man.
1: Right, I was just going to say, are you saying that you ran out of food at a particular no. time when you? No, were- no, we never
2: we never ran out of food.
1: Okay, we got okay.
2: we got down to where we didn't have any fresh stuff. And so we still had some things in the freezer. Uh, we had uh, cans of food that we could, you know, the cooks would crack open and make something out of it. <laughs> <Huh>. But yummy. <laughs> yep. Wow. It was all part of
0: the job. <laughs> so, kind of uh, in a slight tangent from that what is your favorite kind of submarine sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> oh, or your your favorite see here. fast food uh, f- submarine sandwich.
2: It would be like a uh, chicken with all the fixings on it, and then pe- a few peppers and so on. It it doesn't. I like a lot of them. Yeah. But, um, that that you, would probably be my favorite.
0: And any favorite stores like. Subway or Jimmy John's or Jersey Mike's? <laughs> These are the important questions.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mancino's and
1: uh, Subway.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, G-Man.
1: Do you get a discount when you go in Subway? Because you worked on it? <laughs> uh, you know, I never tried that. Let me ask you, when you're in the sub... How tall are the aisleways in a submarine? Well, I was 5'10",
2: and probably 70% of the boat was about 6'2", and the rest of it was you had to duck so that you didn't smack your head.
1: So so my next question is, were there any... Sailors that were over six two, oh yeah, and were they allowed on a sub, or did you have to be a certain height?
2: No, they were allowed.
0: Yeah, okay. if they wanted
2: to come down and deal with the, uh, you know, the stuff that they might run into, and it was fine after a while. The guys would may basically be hunched over all the time they were walking around, <laughs> and they'd find a place to stand where they could stand upright, and then they talk to you for a while. <laughs>
0: wow. <laughs> or 72 or days. Like yeah. <laughs> yep. When you were down yep. that long, I mean, is there any sense of not necessarily claustrophobia, but just like, Hey, we need to surface. Did anyone have that sort of like panic attack or is it pretty much baked into you that it's just another day on the sub?
2: We did have a couple of guys that had panic attacks and, there were a couple of fist fights and so once they got broken up, they figured out what the problem was, and the corpsman took those two guys and ended up giving them sedatives and keeping them in a rack. He would take care of them, and keep them uh, ready to go into port when we got there.
0: <laughs> got it. But you never had any yeah. sort of problem of like, wow, it's oh, been no. forever? Nope. Nope. Huh. No, We
2: sure looked forward to getting back home and, you know, to our regular in-port life. But there were just too many important things that we had to do. Basically, I was one of the guys that, hey, we got a mission and here's what we're going to do to accomplish it. Um, And you guys are all a big part of that. So take your... (laughs) <laughs> um, just do your best at every time you have to go on watch, and when um, we'll get out of this in one piece, and then we'll have a party when we get back. <laughs> Did you find
0: over so including the so you were in five years and out for a while, and then how long were you back in? How what was your total time in the military?
2: I spent uh, twenty years active and eleven months uh, in the reserve.
0: Okay. So in that 20 years, being on the subs, would you say, did you find any commonalities in the sort of people that made good submarine colleagues or whatever? I mean... Oh, yeah. What was the sort of thing that you have to do to be good at that sort of thing?
2: For the most part, you had to be good at what your rate was and be able or want to get better. And also to be a part of a team and a part of the crew um, because everybody depends on you. And we depended on our guys right next to us and, and so on and so forth. So when we had somebody come on board and we talked to them for a while, and, and it didn't take too long to figure out that they were gonna be just fine. They just had to get down and get involved with everything and, and go for it. And we really didn't have that much problem. Dedication is one of the biggest things, and staying on time and on top of everything that you were doing, staying focused, and those types of things uh, are very critical, especially when we're at battle stations or doing something very critical. And those guys, they, they rise to the top, they, you know, like cream to the top of the milk. It's just a matter of they're good at what they do, and they're proud of it, and they, they shine.
0: Hmm.
2: And uh, and then we, we also had very good captains and officers, for the most part. We had a couple of dickheads, but um, for the most part, they were pretty good. And uh, that was our job, was to keep them squared away and on track and able to to do their jobs to the fullest.
0: Back in the day, or even today, were there women on the subs?
2: No, nope, I got out in 97, and they didn't have any women on board yet. They were making plans for it, and had been for years, trying to uh, make a ballistic missile submarine capable of having little staterooms that you know four or five women could go to and bunk in that stateroom or a a female officer she would have her own stateroom or two of the women officers could bunk and they ended up doing that so you know for the most part it, it as far as I know it worked just fine there there wasn't any problems but prior to that of course we had all kinds of ways to bad mouth having women on board.
0: <laughs> Not on my submarine, no way. <laughs> uh, so here we go.
1: We're allowing yep. women into the navy as submarines, but they get their yep. own places to bunk. You know, yep. I don't like that. That's I it. think they should be just like anyone else and they yep. got a bunk with the guys too. You know, come on. It <laughs> would be, um, uh, no,
2: you wouldn't be able to break up all the fights. <laughs> There'd be way too many guys <laughs> in, in well, melees. How about
1: 50-50? 50 women, or I mean, half women, half men, you know? Oh, you know, That sub would they, be on the bottom of the ocean in no time.
2: Yep, you're right. Good oh, shoot. Sure. My gosh.
1: So, well, so let, let me ask you one more question about, uh, you know, the, the battle stations and stuff. W- what was your work day as far as hours? Are you literally 24 hours a day, you know, there to do anything? Or do you, are you 8 hours on, 10 hours on, you know, 12 hours on?
2: Six hours on watch, and then you spend however many hours you need to. For me, as a chief or a manager, then I'd be doing paperwork for the guys, or I'd be going over maintenance uh, routines with the guys. And we had a machinery space on the Buffalo, and we would go down... Into that machinery space, and that's where our diesel was, our CO2 scrubbers, our oxygen generator, our burners, um, our refrigeration plant. So it was kind of all, most of it was there in that one room, and that's where the guys would all meet and uh, just go on about their business for the rest of the day. They'd either go to the rack or do their laundry or, um, you know, doing go up and eat. Watch a movie in the Mestix. So we had a, a lot of things that we could do.
1: Most of us just read a lot of books. <laughs>
0: hmm. So, so it's
1: basically uh, six hours then. That yeah, that six hours were...
2: on, and yeah. then you had twelve hours that you had to, you know, figure out what you were going to do with, because then you had to come back on and watch again in six six hours. So that we had eighteen hour days.
0: Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Did that mess you up when you got back to land? No. Uh-uh.
2: Huh. That was the least of my worries. Okay. <laughs> All right. I won't ask you.
0: So, <laughs> speaking of movies, what's your favorite submarine movie?
1: Well, That goes without saying. Hunt for Red October.
0: Yeah, that is
2: one of the funnest movies to watch. And and they did a really good job of, of acting and Portraying what we uh-huh. did. Um, and that was good. But my f- really favorite one was Das Boot. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, that was that a good was one. intense. Yeah. 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 Cool. But how about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea?
2: Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Those are always H- fun. I
0: mean, how far <laughs> is a league? How far is a league? Do you know? You know,
2: I am not sure. I don't know.
0: But I <laughs> went to the guys grudging.
2: 10,000 leagues. <laughs> wow. No, I was on the uh, Turtle for three years, a little more than that, three and a half, and <clears throat> that was a, a research, science, and recovery submarine, and it would only take three guys down in a sphere, about six foot in diameter, and the, the submarine itself was only about 13 feet wide and 20, 20-some feet long. Wow. And it ran out of battery power, and we would get dropped into the water and then we'd sink to the to the bottom and fly around the bottom and do whatever we needed to do but like yeah, what that kind was of,
0: what kind of stuff would you do
2: well for instance uh, helicopters the Marines were towing um, a device that was for listening in the ocean and it broke loose from the end of their cable hmm so they had pretty good corners of where it was, and we went out there. And I think within a day, I think the same day, yeah, we got out there, uh, we found it. And huh. the, the bottom, and this was off of San Diego, too, so it wasn't very far out, a few miles out from the coast. And it just, we we have a sonar system on, on board, and... Uh, Pretty good idea whereabouts we should go search, and what kind of a search pattern we would have to to come up with the best way we could. Anyway, we did find it and we brought it back. We hooked it uh, hooked onto it with our uh, manipulator and uh, brought it back to them, and they said thanks, (laughs) appreciate (laughs) it. But you know, some of those things are a couple. Many millions of dollars, and that's why we had to go recover it. One of our main missions was to investigate uh, thermal vents, and I could talk about thermal vents all day because up off the coast of Oregon, there's a number of thermal vents that we visited for quite a while, and we were down in the Sea of Cortez for, what, two and a half weeks, um, working with Dr. Ballard, and... Uh, his, his scientists and ROV operators. So they had an ROV that would go down to seven thousand seventy six hundred feet, which is where the vents were, and they would uh, would be doing different science missions and videotaping them, or actually you're seeing them right on camera and it would go up to a satellite and they would go all over the world in these various um, auditoriums where they'd have students come and uh, watch the whole thing that they were doing. And it was just fascinating. Hmm. And uh, so we dove about 16 times down there and I think I did two of those dives and I just it was just unbelievable being on the the bottom or being up alongside of a thermal vent that has uh the fluid temperatures were like 1200 degrees so we had to be pretty pretty careful not to get too close to it and actually one time we did we sat right on top of one one time but it didn't cause any major problems with the boat we just kind of whoops let's get the hell (laughs) out (laughs) of here but uh Yeah, and the scientists had their eyes glued, out our viewports, and they were watching the whole thing right straight up, or they could watch it on video. They could sit on a bench and watch it, but it was, and it would take us two and a half hours to get down there. Jeez. Yeah, we don't travel too fast going up or down, and we only travel like three and a half knots uh, going forward with our propeller and two side pods. Wow. So but it was a hmm. fascinating world to go up and down the coast of the US and go to a dive site and get everything done dive for a few days and get our job done and then go back to San Diego. So it was it was very cool, very hmm. very cool.
0: What in terms of submarine advancements, obviously there's nuclear subs, but do you I having been out of it for a while, do you know Is there sort of a next big thing in terms of advancements technologically?
2: Big time. Big time. All the time. Every day there's somebody coming up with something and they can test it and make it good. And then they have to sell it to the Navy and and they put it on these boats. And the the fast attacks out there right now are so much faster, so much better uh, at maneuvering in the water Uh, their weapons were about the same and I don't know if they've you know even upgraded the weapons that they can carry on board but uh, we did not have vertical launch tubes on either of the boats I was on but these newer boats that have been out there for years and years they had vertical launch tubes so they carry them right up front and right Back in the back part of the ship, I think, and the ballast tanks back there, they've got them. But, hmm. um, and we could, we carried sub rocks for years and years on board the William H. Bates. And that's the name of my first boat. Um, and that was a submarine rocket, of course, but they also had nuclear warhead tips. So we carried those for many years. On the wow. Bates. yep, but not on the board of the buffalo. We never carried a nuke for what reason, um well, just the joint chiefs and everybody involved with putting you know our subs out there, they didn't feel they needed to put a sub rock on a fast attack when they had tridents that had twenty four of the bastards. <laughs> they could fire one Trident missile off and it'd break off into like six or eight or ten different, you know, warheads and get ten different cities.
0: <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah, this this stuff that uh, Putin is doing is pretty scary because if he he gets involved with shooting those nuke weapons from Crimea into... Ukraine, that's going to be a mess.
0: Do you have any general thoughts of after a year, 13 months of this uh, conflict or war, or whatever it's called, is there going to be any winners, losers, or what What do you think is going to happen?
2: It's so hard to tell right now because we're at a point where Biden is holding back, uh, who is it, Poland or... Poland from giving them jets to fly Mm -hmm. and somebody else is being held back Uh, they don't want it to become a world war obviously that's the whole thing about not giving them planes although they could sure use them so they have to keep it with the maximum amount of weapons that we can give them that can do the most but yet that fine line of not going across it and starting a world conflict. So it's, I think um, the Ukrainians and their people and their soldiers, they have everything that it takes to, to win a war. They just don't have all the the tools to do it with, the weapons and things. Mm. But if, if they get them, then you could... I mean, we, we could give them 50 Abrams tanks and see what they could do with those. They'd probably march all the way to um, where Putin lives and blow his dumb ass out of the air.
1: <laughs> I thought we did give them tanks. We
2: have. And I don't know as they've gotten there yet. So, you know, they, they signed the deal months ago. But it takes about six months for them to get amped up, or ramped up anyway, to get those tanks on board ships, to get men trained mm. to fight them. Because we're not going to leave any Americans over there to drive them. So there's just a, a whole bunch of, you know, hurdles they had to Red climb. Red tape. Yep. Yep. Mm.
1: So it's... Well. Does 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 China have any submarines? Oh yeah, they sure do. Oh, they do. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. yeah, Yeah, most mm. of them are battery. Do they go sideways in the water?
2: <laughs> no, that only happens one other place. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh.
0: Do you ever talk to, or I guess, do you ever, or if you were asked to talk, at like a high school about military service and in particular navy and in particular submarine what would you say to 16 17 18 year old kids today knowing i know the military has had some problems recruiting in the last few years or couple years um, and you know things are maybe going a little sideways speaking of going sideways but what would you say to a group of kids
2: i would be all for them spending time in one of the branches of the service for a couple of years, especially if they didn't know exactly what they wanted to be yet or what they wanted to study in college or or to go be an electrician or whatever. I I would tell a lot of them that it's a wonderful life, but there are a lot of hardships. Um, You know, I was married once in the Navy, twice actually, but I was deployed with my um, second wife and it was really tough, really, really tough on her. We, we got divorced because she couldn't stand it. Mm. She could not stand me being over in another country, um, you know, out there in the and doing things, uh, sightseeing and that kind of thing. She didn't like that at all but oh, so so there there are a lot of hardships having kids and you know you guys know all about that bringing up families with just the, the mom being home and the dad's deployed and all that and it, but if you can find the right woman and you can or make a match and get through all those things and just you know trust each other and go out and do it it's a excellent time to get an education you get to see different parts of the world you meet a lot of fabulous people that you would never meet or see before any other time and uh, the pay is not great but it's it's respectable that they brought that up quite a bit while I was in increased Mm -hmm. the amount that we were getting paid but it's it's a good life, and it's well worth it because you know you're doing the right thing. You patriots—that's you know the military needs people that are just doggone patriots, and they feel good about themselves and about their country, and they want to—they want to do the right thing and go over and help with whatever conflict or war that's going on. So there's just a a lot of good qualities that they, they are looking for in officers and enlisted. So I actually I would tell them right now if, if you don't want to go in the service, if you don't know what you want to do, then go to a, a LCC and learn how to be a plumber or a pipe fitter, or a carpenter, or something like that. Those are well-paying jobs, in fact, better than some jobs that other people have, you know, in a white-collar world. But at least you're doing something constructive, and you're doing it with your hands. And like I said, you can do the same thing in the military. in the Army, Navy, Marines, Coast Guard, they're all uh, fabulous branches of the service, and you just deal with the people that you meet on a, a given day and, you know, stand up for what's
1: right.
0: Awesome. G-Man?
1: Did you ever consider going into the Coast Guard as opposed nope, to the Navy? I didn't.
2: I look back on it now, and, okay. and sometimes I wish I had, but because uh, I do like what the Coast Guard does. And I've, you know, watched some of their operations. And and I think it's they they do a hell of a job trying to rescue these idiots out there that have no idea or they shouldn't even be on the water. But even the ones that have emergencies, they do a hell of a job rescuing people and getting uh, them taken care of and diving. I mean, they're in danger all the time. And it's... You know, I, I salute them. They, they do a, a fabulous job. And the helicopter pilots, they're unbelievable the, how skilled they are getting into places and so on. I mean, there's so many things that a, a young person can do uh, that, I mean, there's just they should just go out and and try one. Coast Guard's a, a fabulous idea for some people. But the Navy... I got to go around the world, and I got into places that I thought I'd never be,
0: (laughs) Mm.
2: and uh, it was just a lot of fun, and I have a lot of good good friends that I spent time with.
0: Without getting too deeply into it, but did what you learn in your service translate into what came next in terms of your career?
2: No, it didn't. Um, I was a jack-of-all-trades and master of none, which, you know, if you're going to be an air conditioning refrigeration technician, you need to go and study everything there is to know about uh, small refrigeration, large refrigeration, and um, you just have to do a lot of studying to get good at it, and I didn't have that kind of background. I could operate a plant, I could charge it and I could do a lot of other things. You know, we had to change filters and all kinds of different things. But uh as a mechanic on a submarine, no, there wasn't too there aren't too many jobs out there that hmm. fit that mold.
0: Gotcha. I looked.
1: I looked quite a bit. <laughs> yep. When you left the Navy what is the age if you were to go back in will they accept you what what's the maximum age they would accept you going back in if you wanted to go back in for 10 more years or something
2: i don't think they take too many guys in their 30s and 40s but if you have and you know the key is if you've got a specific quality or something that you're really good at and they don't have too many of those in the service then they'll make exceptions
1: yeah they'll bring them in for say for instance you left when you were say you were 40 when you left and you you said "Ah, i i kind of want to get back into the you know that field because i liked it um and they said geez we're we're a uh, short one, you know, nuclear launch person. Come on back in when you're 50.
2: Yeah. That I mean, it could. You bet. Okay. There's right. some uh, okay. rules are only made to be broken <laughs> or, modif-
1: right. or modified. All right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, okay. Shoot. It's, All right. W- w- what about male? Mail. You were talking about, unfortunately, you said you had a divorce when you were in the Navy because you were gone for extended periods. How Were you able to get mail to your loved ones while you were nope. on your boat? Nope. The only communication nope. we had
2: was via the radio room, and they would get downloads of Family Grams. So your mom or your wife could go fill out a family gram and hand it to whoever and they would submit it and had to be approved and, you know, they'd go through it and change wording and stuff like that too. But uh, yeah, we would get family grams and I, I got a lot of family grams over the years. It was pretty cool.
1: Okay. And did you give them back? No, I mean, did it, no, no, from the sub, you to cannot you, transmit. Can't.
2: Okay. When you, when, if if you transmit something, uh, it it's a sound, and somebody's got their ears on someplace, and they'll they will have heard you, <laughs> so uh, they can pinpoint where it okay. was, and basically, you know, send a little um, <laughs> rocket at you or something like that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow. Yeah. So do you, of the people that you knew, the guys you knew on the sub, speaking of family life, and do you know many that really had successful marriages and and raised families being gone that much?
2: Yes. Yep. Quite a few of them did. Hmm. And they just, I guess it would be different in submarines than it would be as a Navy SEAL. Those guys go on black ops where they're just told they got to go for a couple of weeks and they put them in an airplane and they go parachute them out. Whereas a submarine, you know, it's going out for so much time and then it's coming back in.
0: Right. And a lot of guys
2: had very good marriages and there were a lot of divorces too. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yep. Hmm. Yep. So you were in for 20 years and you decided to get out just because you figured you would had enough and wanted to do something yep. else?
2: Yes, I had enough. I punched enough holes in the Atlantic and the Pacific and decided that somebody else can do it for a while.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: Yeah. I mean, I wasn't in love with the Navy that much that I wanted to keep going and get my own uh, submarine fast attack and be a cob on board and the cob is uh, chief of the boat and he's the senior enlisted on uh, on board so I just didn't didn't want to do any of that anymore I was just tired of being out to sea and doing all the, doing all that stuff.
1: Just real quickly I'd like to circle back if I don't mind quoting Jen Psaki. And uh, when you were down in that turtle, uh, was there a uh, backup plan if you weren't able to get back up to the surface, considering that you must have been down over a mile in the ocean? The
2: only backup plans were what the crew knew to do with the boat to get back to the surface. If we were entangled in a cable or something like that, then we just bend over and kiss our ass goodbye. But <laughs> if we ran out of propulsion, for instance, and we or we we had to make ourselves lighter, we had all kinds of ways to do that. Uh, we carried, I think there were fifteen pound weights, and we would just pickle one of those off and keep dropping those until we got positively buoyant. Um if that didn't work fast enough or whatever, then we could also jettison a battery. And shit there's about three thousand pounds right there, something like that. So that would give us a lot of buoyancy. And we'd go hmm. flying we'd probably go up a couple hundred feet in the air once we got to the surface <laughs> <laughs> like a yep, just, like,
1: just shoot right up right. out of there
2: but uh, oh. that was it now we didn't have any other submarine that could come and you know hook onto us and pull us up hmm. we had to, we yep. had to do it ourselves
0: i never really thought of this and it's probably because it's a silly question but when you're down in a, in a regular sub, I don't know, 500 feet or 1,000 feet or wherever you are, is the air pressurized? I mean, gravity isn't any different or, I mean, the air or breathing or anything from being on the surface?
2: Atmospheric pressure stays about the same. And when we are at periscope depth and we have the snorkel mast out and we have the diesel engine running, The diesel wants air to make, you know, power to generate electricity. If the snorkel mast is covered with water, then that air comes from the inside of the boat. And it Mm. becomes, you go into a vacuum. Half inch, inch, one inch, whatever. You... uh, you go into a vacuum, and then when you the snorkel mass gets out of the water and it opens, then that is relieved. So it, it cycles back and forth, but basically uh, is within a half an inch or an inch of regular atmospheric pressure.
0: Unfortunately, due to our starts and stops, I have no idea how long we've actually been recording, but it feels like <laughs> we're probably at a, a good stopping point. I'm sure you've got many adventures after your service ended, which we thank you for in retrospect. Oh, yeah. um, we couldn't couldn't do it without you guys, that is for sure. So, yeah, um, yeah maybe, oh, there's, is that clapping? <laughs>
1: All right, okay. that's enough. All right. <laughs> Good God, we have a live audience here. <laughs> yeah, <right>. That's right. <laughs> They've been very
0: patient with us. Well, Jim, uh, thank yeah, you for yeah. coming on and sharing your experiences. It's super fascinating to talk to people who do things that very few other people get to do or are capable of doing. So we appreciate your time.
2: No, you're very
1: welcome. And your service, yeah. my friend. Thank you.
0: Yep. All right. Well, this is why you come each and every week to learn about new things from new people and get new experiences. So come on back next time on The Right Angle.
1: That was easy.